I'm very grateful to be able to say that I get to be a worshiper in this church on a regular basis. And my name is Hannah, for those of you who don't know me, and I love this church. Uh, Pastor Tom had asked me if I would preach on, in the sermon series on Best Supporting Actors on Lydia. And when he asked me, uh, I was thinking, okay, Lydia. And all that came to my mind was something about purple, purple cloth, and that's about it. So I decided to prayerfully read through the passage and ask God, speak to me, God, if there's something that you have for me in this passage that I can share with the church, then I'll say yes. Well, he did. And I have to say, it was a little unsettling. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to be a little unsettled with me. So we're going to read the passage from Acts 16. It's on page 784 in your pew Bibles. So it's Acts 16 from verse 6 through uh, 15. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Prigia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. A vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day on to Naples. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city at that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So to get to the part about Lydia, we kind of got to look at how Paul got there. So if we put up the map, I think it's kind of an interesting little scenario here because Paul was on his second missionary journey and he had a plan. And the plan was to go 
to Asia. But it says that he was kept from preaching in the province of Asia. Why? Because the Holy Spirit kept him from it. What was wrong with the people in Asia? Why weren't they supposed to hear? It strikes me kind of funny. And then, okay, so then we're not going to go to Asia, which you can kind of see where that is. So instead, we'll go to Bithynia. But then the spirit of Jesus kept them from going to Bithynia. What? And then he has a vision. Paul has a vision. And there's a man in Macedonia, which is like over on the other side, way over there. A man, one man in Macedonia saying, come and help us. Oh, so that must be where we're supposed to go. And so they went to Macedonia. Does that strike you as funny? It wasn't like Paul had this bad plan. It wasn't like he was going to do a bad thing. He was going to do a good thing. But the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus kept him from it. It made me think about how open are my good plans. When I put myself in Paul's shoes, it's really not that hard for me to imagine what my response would have been, like having traveled all that way, and I'm going to go to Asia, and I'm going to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit says no, I, or I was hindered somehow, I think I would have been a little frustrated. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. We came all this way. And how did he know that it wasn't the plan? It made me think about the plans, the good plans that I have. One of those good plans I had way back, I've had many good plans, but one of, them, <laughs> one of them that came to my mind was the summer between my junior and senior year in college. Every summer, I was in school in Minnesota, every summer I would go back home to Denmark and make enough money to go back for the next school year. This particular summer, I was very broke and I only had so much money to get back home to Denmark. And I was praying for God to provide a plane ticket that I could afford. And he's already, always been faithful to provide for me. And this particular time I was praying that there would be a ticket for just this amount of money. And the only one God came up with was with a 24-hour layover in Detroit. 
And I have to admit to you, I didn't, my first response wasn't, wow, I wonder what God has for me in Detroit. (laughs) I was frustrated. But God did have something for me in Detroit. Earlier that year, God had spoken very clearly to me about ministering to youth at risk once I graduated from college. I had no idea how or what or where, so I had been praying that God would show me what is it that you specifically have for me, because I knew he had called me to work with youth at risk. Well, when I got to Detroit, I ended up spending the day with a girl who was working with Youth for Christ Youth Guidance, working with girls in a neighborhood that was very underserved, girls that were definitely at risk, and I spent the day going with her to the different girls' houses and signing them up for camp. In those 24 hours, God showed me so clearly the plan he had for me. So when I went back to school in the fall, I looked up in the phone book to see if there was a Youth for Christ Youth Guidance in Minnesota. There was. I called him up and said, when I graduate, I'm going to come work for you. So back to Paul and Lydia. It says in verse 13 that on the Sabbath day, Paul went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, Paul's usual thing was when he would go into a city, On the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue and he would begin to preach. He didn't do that in Philippi in Macedonia because in order for there to be a synagogue in the city, there would have had to be at least 10 Jewish men. So when there wasn't a synagogue, people would gather by the river to pray. So that's where Paul went. So when he went there, who did he find down there? He said, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Wait a minute. The women? What was Paul's vision again? There's supposed to be a man for crying out loud. What? This is like craziness. You know, when God got really clear with me about what he had for me, to work with neighborhood girls in an underserved community in the inner city of Minneapolis, I was clear. And I was so excited. And I loved working with those girls. And then my supervisor at Youth for Christ said, Hannah, I need you to go start a Bible study at the Coed Juvenile Detention Center in St. Paul. 
I didn't hear that. <laughs> I knew what I was supposed to be doing. Jail wasn't one of them, and boys wasn't one of them. But he insisted. I can still remember the Sunday night I was driving down 35E in St. Paul, Minnesota on my way to the juvenile detention center and I was crying. And I cried out to God and I said, God, I can't do this. And you know what he said? I know, but I can. And you know what, that night, I got into that juvenile detention center and 32 kids were sitting in a circle waiting for me to come and share the love of God with them. And God's spirit fell on the place because he was already there. He was already at work. So how did Paul know that he was supposed to talk to those women? Because God's spirit was already there. God's spirit was already at work. And how do we know that? We know that because in verse 14 it says, and one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So let's look a little bit at who Lydia really was. It said she was from the city of Thyatira. So actually, if we had the map up again, that's like over there in Asia. Right? Uh, and that city was known for its purple dye. And it was a very, it was a very expensive, it was very uh, well sought after, and any clothing that was purple and had, you know, that purple dye was kind of a, a sign of royalty and wealth. Uh, and you were powerful and influential. So Lydia had come over and had decided to set up shop in Philippi, which was like a significant city in the a Roman colony. So we know about her, or we can at least assume about her, that she had a lot of influence. She had a lot of wealth. She had, I'm sure, a lot of knowledge, well-educated, and she was a worshiper of God. So then Paul comes, and Paul tells her about Jesus, who she had not heard about. But she already had faith. She was already worshiping, and I'm sure knew a lot. So I'm imagining myself being presented with something new outside of what I already know. 
And it made me question, how open are my convictions? For me, my natural human response is, I'm all set. I already know. Are you questioning what I believe? When I first met Scott, 35, six years ago, um, I had grown up in a very solid Christian home, learned about the Bible from the time I could walk. I went to Bible college, I was in full-time ministry, and Scott was an investment broker. <laughs> he did not grow up in a Christian home. He was the first in his family to become Christian. And he didn't have any formal Bible training at that point. He did end up going to seminary. But Scott was hungry for God. And when Scott and I started going out, it was a little uncomfortable because some of the stuff he was open to didn't fit my boxes. Because I already knew. And you don't like, you don't like question this stuff that I know that I know. And I started realizing that I was pretty much all set and maybe had lost a little bit of the freshness of hearing and responding to God's Spirit. When we look at Jesus in the Pharisees, this is what kept them from knowing Jesus and knowing his heart. Their boxes would not allow him in. They already knew. I'm good, thank you very much. Or even Peter, who was in love with Jesus, had to be hit over the head in order to go and share Christ with the Gentiles. I could completely miss what God is doing by hanging on too tightly to my convictions and my knowledge. What does it require to respond the way Lydia did? Humility and a willingness to not know all there is to know. Is it possible that I'm sitting with some convictions and some opinions that I hang on to so tightly out of fear that I miss something more that God might have for me? It's possible. Has your experience of God expanded or only your head knowledge? Lydia experienced something that day. 
But the more educated, the more status and influence I have, the tougher it seems to be to acknowledge that I don't know it all. Lydia is such an amazing example of openness to God's spirit. And the way we know this is she didn't just hear what Paul said, she actually immediately responded to it by being baptized. It says when she and the members of a household were baptized, it was just a natural response. She was so convinced in her spirit that all her status, all her reputation, all the oh-oh, what are people going to think, was not even an issue. And I don't know what it would have cost someone like Lydia who had the status and influence that she had that she went and got baptized and had this amazing conversion experience. I don't know what it cost. But I know it wasn't an intellectual decision. It was a decision of the heart. And she responded immediately. Then we move down to verse, in verse 15 and 16, where it says that she and the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay. What? A woman, Paul and Silas, hey, come stay with me. Is that even wise? That's craziness. So how open are my boundaries? Who decides for me what's a good idea? Who's the provider of my safety? We live in a society that glorifies security and safety with an illusion that we actually have the ability to provide it. As Brother Andrew said when he was asked about back in the day, smuggling Bibles into communist countries, and people would say, oh, but isn't that dangerous? And Brother Andrew would say back, what is danger? The only danger is to be out of the will of God. Or we could turn it around and say, what is safety? Safety is being in the center of the will of God. So when I was working with the girls in South Minneapolis, one of the first girls I started working with was only, she was only 11 or maybe 12 at the time, but she had five older sisters. 
She was the only one who did not become pregnant before the time she was 15. Gail had such a heart for God, but her older sisters were not interested. So we had been praying for an opportunity to minister to her older sisters. Well, one day Gail called me up and she goes, Hannah, they want to have a Bible study. You're never going to believe it. They want a Bible study. So I grabbed one of my friends who had actually never been with me down in South Minneapolis, so she didn't quite know what she was in for. But I asked, hey, Sharon, do you want to come help me start this Bible study for these girls? This is the first time. So we go down there, and I knock on Gail's house's door, and somebody yells, come in, and open the door. And all I see is this sectional couch with these big guys sitting there looking to me, 23-year-old whatever girl, but looking very scary to me, big leather jackets, stuff, and they go, who are you? I go, oh, uh, this is Sharon, I'm Hannah, we're from Youth for Christ. Youth for who? <laughs> Youth for Christ. Oh, are you girls by any chance virgins? Uh, as a matter of fact, we are. Well, nobody's leaving a virgin today. So I turned to Sharon, I said, let's go out in the kitchen. So we walk through the living room, out into the kitchen, sit down and have a Bible study with these amazing girls. But then it's time to leave. And we gotta go through that room. So we go through that room and I go, nice to meet you, walk out the door. Now, that's a crazy story. Don't try this at home kind of story. I never told my mom kind of story. But God was doing something. And God was at work. And there's a verse in the Bible in the Psalms that says this perfectly. In Psalms 16, 5 and 6, it says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Does that mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to me? No. Not really. As Stephen was being stoned for his faith, he was in the center of safety and security as his face shone. And he gave up his spirit. Safety and security is to be in the center of the will of God. And there's nothing else that provides it. 
The whole story is a little uncomfortable because nothing goes the way it's supposed to go. There's really a theme here. What's the theme? Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't. So three takeaways. One, don't rely on your own plan. Don't rely on your own knowledge and convictions. And don't rely on your own ability to provide safety and security. This is a story of dependence and humility. Then there's the rest of the story. <clears throat> because Paul and Silas actually did meet a man. They ended up going to prison for preaching the gospel. And while they were imprisoned, they met the jailer. And there was an earthquake. And the jail doors opened. And Paul and Silas didn't leave. And the jailer gave his life to Christ. And his whole family was baptized. And then... Paul and Silas get out of jail and in verse 40 of the same chapter it says after Paul and Silas came out of the prison they went where? They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them and then they left. Do you know what happened here? This was the birth of the church in Philippi. This was an amazing story of what, like we can't go here, we can't go here. God the whole time knew, I am going to birth this church in Philippi. I'm going to use Lydia, even though she's not a man, and I'm going to do all of these things. And this church became, I would say, the dearest, most intimate. Like when, when uh, Paul wrote his letters to the Philippians, it's an intimate, loving letter. And just amazing things happened in the church of Philippi. Wow. Wow. Talk about God doing abundantly above what we could ask or imagine. It is amazing. So this story really challenges me to think about where in my life have I settled for, I got this. I got this. God many times does not go the way of common sense. And I was reading last week in my utmost for his highest, and I think it really sums it up well. And I'll read it to you. Never let common sense 
obtrude and push the Son of God on one side. Common sense is a gift which God gave to human nature, but common sense is not the gift of his Son. Supernatural sense is the gift of his Son. Never enthrone common sense. The Son detects the Father. Common sense never yet detected the Father and never will. Our ordinary wits never worship God unless they're transfigured by the indwelling Son of God. We have to see that this mortal flesh is kept in perfect subjection, subjection to him and that he works through it moment by moment. Are we living in such human dependence upon Jesus that his life is being manifested in us moment by moment? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need you more than we think we need you. So I pray that this morning we would hear your voice. We would respond to your spirit. And we would see you do what we could have never thought or imagined. Lord, I pray that we would have humble spirits not be the ones who think we know, but really trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.